Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking some shit uh, uh, to Lille and Liverpool. Um, obviously, we beat Lille at, uh, during the week, um, and we got Liverpool later on um, at the weekend. So here to join me, as always, we got Sam and Andres here. A big pot on the books, guys. I'll start with you, Sam. How you feeling? You know how last episode I said that I was kind of hoping that we lost so that it would be a – or that we didn't win so that it would be a better podcast? I think today it's going to be a much better podcast because we won. And I was actually rooting for the win this time. So you, should, you guys should be happy for me. I'm rooting for my own team finally in a match to win. Um, it's the small victories that matter, right, Tom? <laughs> It just would be weird if someone who had a Chelsea podcast would constantly root against Chelsea. That's typically <laughs> the job for Chelsea haters. But, um, well, 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 for the people that didn't listen last pod, you were cheering for us, or you weren't cheering for us to lose, but you were hoping that we might drop points so you would have more of a reason to go in on the squad, not exactly. because you don't like Chelsea. There you exactly. Go. Thank you. I, mean, I thought it made sense without the clarification, but thank you for clarifying. Andres, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I feel better. Honestly, after that last podcast, I feel much better about this side. I think a couple of tweaks obviously showed big changes today. And just like I've been saying all year, we are much better at cup matches than we are at league matches. And it proved it once again. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm just hoping that we can get through Lil and we don't have to see Renato Sanchez again because – Man, he's a good player. I feel I feel vindicated. That's the word I want to use. I feel vindicated. Like everything that we said in the past couple of, of weeks slash months, Tuchel finally decided to do what we've been talking about, and look what it turns out. Look what it ended up looking like. Uh, switching up to back to the three four three. Even though this was something we talked about last week, that if we were going to play Ziyech, we would only play him in a back four. And he played him in a back three. In his natural position, which is kudos kudos to uh, Thomas Tuchel. But that was due to a uh, surprise return by Dave. So in the 3-4-3, Mendy in goal. Christensen, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger in the back three. Dave, Kovacic, Conte, and Alonso in the midfield. Um, and a front three of Ziesch, Kai Havertz, Pulisic. Guys, we did it. They dr- finally, Lukaku has <laughs> dropped. How how good did it feel to see that team sheet? Not even the team sheet. The tweet ten minutes before the team sheet was released, confirming that Lukaku was not starting. I mean, Andreas, what? How much relief did that give you? I mean, I so. <laughs> A lot, a lot, and for for a couple of reasons. I actually think it it was time to just give him a mental break too, right? Like obviously playing him and just hoping that eventually stuff would click was not working. So you can't keep sacrificing the level of play of the team and the player's psyche also. So I think, yeah, he start like he started ten matches in a row, but his head is like since the interview. I'm sure has not been in a good spot. So you just let him handle himself behind the scenes. So 
I was extremely happy about that. I also mentioned in the tweet that I thought three focuses for Chelsea included dropping Lukaku, starting Kovacic and Ziyech, and um, resting Mountain James. And, you know, Tuchel was quoted saying that it was due to needed rest uh, because Lukaku had played 10 matches in a row. But I'm not buying it. And to me, it, our, our attack looked so much better. Zach, what, like, what, what is it about Lukaku at this point where when we drop him, we look so much more lethal? Like, clearly Kai Havertz is not the finisher that Lukaku is. He really isn't. But he looked better. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, well, first of all, I mean, I, th- I think the mindset of the team just looked completely different. I think we looked like a side that wanted to put on a performance, that wanted to prove a point. Uh, most specifically that front three. I mean, we were talking off air before we started recording and I mentioned, you know, how well we counterpressed and how well we pressed in the first maybe, what, 10 or 15 minutes when Kai Havertz was just going bonkers on them. Um, our center halves hardly had to do any work in those first 15 minutes because we were winning the ball either in their defensive third or in the middle third of the pitch and then um, just countering really quickly. And the nice thing was is you have the work rate of Kai Havertz there, which is something that Tuchel... Uh, praised after the match and you know his counter pressing and pressing helped us in a way where if he had to shift defensively to the left or right he's able to do that while maintaining the press and then when we win the ball back he could stay in those positions because he's comfortable operating out wide as well which is something we don't really see with Lukaku I mean granted Lukaku likes to stay in the middle but he's never been the type of player to press and I don't think he's ever played in a system where he's been asked to do the pressing. I mean, even at Inter, they'd have Lautaro drop off and do the dirty work for him. And Lukaku would be more of a point of reference in that attack. So I think that I, I think that was a big uh, a big help here was the fact that Kai Havertz is so versatile in that sense where he can be a center forward, not necessarily a striker, and drift out into those wide spaces um, and have, you know, guys like Ziyech, guys like Pulisic, even Conte, who was stepping up into that space at times as well. Um, it just opens up these spaces for all of our players. And I talked about it last week as well. Um, when Andres pressed me on, you know, uh, or when me and him were having our little spiel about Lukaku, I mentioned that Lukaku needs to adapt by dropping in, maybe filling in some of the gaps in the midfield and opening up spaces for his teammates. Kai Havertz did that, but he also drifted out wide as well. So now, even if Lukaku comes back willing to drop into the midfield, is he still going to be the type of player that's able to drift wide into those positions and help out on the counter press and also help out on the counter attack when we win the ball back like Kai does? I'm not too sure. I think uh, I think just stylistically, Kai Havertz is way more um, is way more suited to Tuchel's style. And you know, to be fair to Tuchel, it is Lukaku that has to be the one to do the adapting because man won a Champions League and seemed to win everything else ever since. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was really, really happy with the change. And I wasn't, I don't, I don't want to say I was expecting Kai to put up a 10 out of 10 performance like he did in the first half or the first 30 minutes. But um, I think we saw flashes of a player that we paid, you know, 70 plus million for a guy that maybe we can build around if he continues to play here. So. And mentioning Kai Havertz playing in that, you know, center forward, false nine, role, whatever you want to call it. We we mentioned how uh, last week Lukaku seven it was seven touches, right? The yes. least amount of touches for a player that played a minimum of ninety minutes. That 
in Premier League history. That was the full stat for any mm. player. I, th- I thought it might have been just strikers, but it was for any player. Um, Kai Havertz, on the other hand, eight touches in seven minutes, plus a goal, along with another one or two big chances. All of this in the first start he gets over Lukaku. Um, four shots, 47 total touches, three out of three accurate long balls. He was dispossessed one time, guys. I mean, if it weren't just for you know, the excitement that I got from not having to watch Lukaku play. The fact that Kai Havertz played one of his best matches in a long time in another big match in, you know, European competition, you know, it's it's kind of furthering the idea that he is a big game player. You know, he, he might have a lot of duds in between. And honestly, the stats that I just read don't do this match justice. I think that he was he was so fluid, so smart with the, the decision making, and there are going to be games in between that do frustrate you, but the consistency will come over time, I believe. Um, we we got a first time Twitter question. One this one's from one Fonte boy at Kobina uh, on tw- oh at Kobina Ebo uh, on Twitter. So first time. Uh, question uh he asked or it was also a, a more of a point and then a question at the end Havertz plays very well as a false nine when deployed up front but Lukaku continues to be used as a target man when it's obvious that role doesn't suit his uh, suit our system at what point do we start to apportion some blame on Tuchel for not changing his role maybe to a deep lying forward so this is something that you know Generally, we talked about Tuchel, his his stubbornness and just like, I don't even know if it's stubbornness. I, I really don't know how to describe it. He just was consistently playing players out of position when it's not something that requires a lot of expecta- uh, experimentation to figure out where certain guys play best. You, me, Andreas, Zach, everyone listening knows where these players play their best, and we've been saying it for a while, and Tuchel is finally doing it, and the first match he does, everyone he plays in their natural position plays phenomenally. Um, Andreas, was Kai the reason this game was so much better in the attacking buildup? And, you know, also talking about the question from one Fonte boy. Yeah, I'll start with his question. Shout out Ghana, right? That's where he's from. Believe so. Yeah, coming coming from from afar. So appreciate you listening, man. Uh, here's what I think about the Lukaku part. He's talking about whether it's changing it or not. I dug back through all the systems that we've played now because we've been talking about Tuchel being rigid. But at the end of the day, we've played the three four three, the three five two, the four four two, the four two two two, the four one four one. We have tried five different positions. You mentioned it, Sam. We have tried, we have put people in other positions, not just because of injuries. It's because we're shifting formations and putting people to kind of makeshift those places work. And at the end of the day, those things were happening for Lukaku. In the period of time that Lukaku was injured, we stuck our guns in the 3 4 3. And that's when we went on that crazy run of wins. And the wingbacks were scoring and all that. 
So I don't think at this point, after what I said this week, after much more research, that Tuchel hasn't tried. I don't think that. Now, do we need to make him be a deep line forward? I can also call BS on that because in Lukaku's first match starting against Arsenal, he was in a 3-4-3. And guess what he did there? He played the way he should be playing in that position. He touched the ball, I believe, 46 times. He was checking in. And his very first club for the goal for the club, he checked in, played a wing back, got his ass up the field again, and finished the play. You have to. When you play for Chelsea, you have to create space. No team outside of perhaps City and Liverpool is going to come to Chelsea and play open football. So it's your job to create space in behind. Something that Diego Costa did very well. He checked in and got himself space. He used his wingers to then create space for himself. And if the ball doesn't come to you, guess what? The wingers now have somewhere to run. This isn't all about Lukaku. I don't care how big his price tag is. He is still a piece of this puzzle. And his whole job, yes, was to finish. But at the end of the day, points on the table and winning and progressing through a tournament mean far more than Lukaku getting his bonus for getting to 20 goals in a season. So that's how I feel about his question. Now, to take it a step further, as knowing is Kai the only reason the attacking buildup was better, I think Kai is a big reason why all three wingers looked better. But I think one reason it looked quick and and the attack was getting more space on top of why on top of Kai, excuse me, creating space is the midfield duo of Conte and Kovacic. Those two guys were given the freedom to boost forward with the ball. They won it. They were pushing it forward. They won it. They were looking for the front three. They were not concerned with recycling possession. And this is where Jorginho fans may hate me for this. But this is where we slow down severely in attack. If the buildup goes through Jorginho, and I harped Zach on this last week, it is going to take seven more passes to get to the front three. The front three moves far less when Jorginho is in possession because he never is looking for the direct pass forward. Never. More often than not, he does it. And I think that, sadly, is something that I believe needs to change in, in the long-term plan to to get us scoring so zach i mean i talked about it last week do you do you agree do you disagree what do you think about that i mean i think there's a time and a place for a player like Jorginho. i think if you deploy him against the deep lying defense he's 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 going to control the game he's going to control the tempo he'll find positions where he won't be exploited defensively and whatnot but i think to sort of support your point andres and I mentioned this with Conte earlier, you know, his ability in this game to drive forward with the ball and to play forward passes, it's something Jorginho doesn't really have in his locker. Uh, we talk about Kovacic doing this all the time. His ability to not only break the press by dribbling around his defender, but also make the pass on the move at top speed. And uh, Jorginho doesn't really get himself into those positions, so I think that's a problem. Also, Jorginho doesn't really have a tendency to look over the top much. He doesn't really like to find that quick out ball, so... I think that might be a I think that might be a reason to sort of support your point there. But again, I mean, I'm not down on Jorginho whatsoever. The guy was arguably the best midfielder in Europe last season. It, you know, it's there's a time and a place for a player like that. And when he controls a game, I mean, it's 
there's really nothing to really worry about uh, if he's on your side. I think Italian fans could attest to that also. So I don't know. I think moving forward, I was thinking about it earlier this week, and maybe maybe you can uh, you know bounce your point off of this. But I was thinking about our our prospective team next year, right? Our potential team next year. And if it doesn't include Lukaku, I think the key is getting as much dynamic players as you can in there. Players that are able to switch positions and uh, and rotate for each other, whether it's in attack or defense. And if you play Kai up top, you're going to get that because we saw it against Lille. You know, Pulisic filled in that gap for the second goal to as a center forward to make that run and, and ultimately get the finish. And then Ziyech, we know he could do that as well. So if we're going to be dynamic, uh, Jorginho doesn't really have a place in the squad. And if I'm putting a dynamic midfield together next year, whether it's a two or a three, it's, it's you know, probably Mount Kovacic and Conte is going to be your starting mid or your strongest with the starting squad, midfield right. with the current squad. Yeah, yeah. And that's assuming we don't go out and spend $120 million on Declan Rice. Yeah. No, and, and, and to add, like you were saying, we actually played a true pivot in this match. If Conte pressed... Kovacic backed off. If Kovacic was the one driving forward, Conte backed off. When it's Jorginho plus one, they both stay back, like you mentioned, to cover, to prevent, to make sure that if we do lose possession, which more often than not, we don't, but in the case that we do, we can protect our behind. That's why Tuchel always mentioned that we have to have five players back. It's because of him. Like We love Jorginho. Like you said, there's a time and a place. If we need to slow things down, if we need to bring back peace, because there was a point in this match where it felt like a pinball match, where neither team for about 10 minutes was possessing at all. That's when Jorginho plays a huge game. If a team that is high action, perhaps likes to play and possess out wide is there, maybe that's when you use a Jorginho, right? A team that wants to come at you. And Jorginho can kind of frustrate them and then create space. He's a great system defender, Jorginho. If if they're trying to press us, yes, Jorginho might be it because so many of the other team's players are going to come forward. And and then eventually we find the one pass that lets us go forward. But like mm-hmm. I said, more often than not, teams are not going to come play Chelsea and and try to beat us outright. They're going to play to get the one or two chances. And I think... It plays into their hand to do that when we do have Jorginho. I don't want to take away from Havertz's performance because even earlier this season, I was praising Havertz when he was a center forward, uh, even though he wasn't scoring, because I do appreciate the fluidity and effort. So, again, Havertz was a top player in this match. Uh, We're talking about Jorginho and his impact in the midfield. Let's talk about the two, two guys who played together in the first half, um, the two starters, N'Golo Conte and Mateo Kovacic. Um, I mean, those two are transition machines. I mean, the ball went from defense to attack in the blink of an eye with these two. Um, yes, there were a, a little bit more turnovers, but, you know, as far as space in the attack, I mean, these guys contributed so much into expanding that Um We'll start off with N'Golo Conte, one assist, two key passes, 91% pass accuracy, 10 ball recoveries, dispossessed only twice, um, and our man of the match poll we posted on Twitter, which uh, amassed a grand total of 14 votes, Conte was the 14, winner. 14,000. 
14,000 votes. <laughs> uh, did I not say that? My bad. Um, yeah. N'Golo Conte won. Not. I don't know why Twitter didn't include the other three zeros. It's a glitch. It's, it's a glitch. So N'Golo Conte was voted man of the match with 50% of votes. Uh, and dude, whenever I watch N'Golo Conte play, it honestly makes me sad every time because he is so amazing to watch. And it's I just like think about his hamstring and like how much longer he's going to be able to play like this, how much longer he's going to be on Chelsea. And I don't know why. Every time I watch him play, that's like like what I think of at least two or three times a match because I just love his play style. I love the like his intensity, his his mentality, just never giving up, always running. And if it weren't for that, you know, that hamstring, like we could we could honestly say that he was one of the best players of all time, honestly. Like if you think about <laughs> just like pound for pound, respective for their position, like you could say that he's the best center defensive mid of all time. But if he was a little bit more can like healthy and consistent, like shit, man, the way he plays, he could be considered one of the best players of all time. I swear to God. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's like a a, a crazy thing to say. You know, if you go out on a limb and argue that N'Golo Conte could be the best defensive midfielder in Premier League history. I mean, you could compare him to the likes of like the Yaya Toure's or, you know, uh, even the Makaleles when Chelsea was doing their thing back in the day. Um, I don't know. I, I have the Chelsea bias, so of course I'm going to pick him. But what I wanted to say about his performance is he seems to do that thing that older world-class generational talents tend to do you know um have a relatively quiet season a couple a couple bright performances here and there but when the bright lights shine i mean he's far and away the best player i mean i think this is what his fourth straight champions league match where he won man of the match yeah it just kind of he won it in both semifinals i think he won it in the final and now this one and I believe he was like five or six out of the last nine total matches in Champions League. He was man of the match. I mean, I might go out on a limb here, Sam, and I might double down on your take. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think he's higher than Hazard on the Chelsea list for me at this point. Yeah. Now that you got that Champions League trophy under your belt. And I think the other thing that he has over Hazard is the consistency of performances. I mean, I can only count on one hand the amount of performances from Conte that I can forget. Hazard, on the other hand, I mean, granted, he was a winger, so you know you could drift in and out of games. But I'm just tooting Conte's horn here. Andres, uh, prove me wrong, I guess. No, 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 not at all. I was going to add that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, should we win Sunday, Conte also completes the cycle at Chelsea. I believe that that's the one trophy uh, we haven't won. So I actually add Alonso to the equation because he's been here just as long. So Alonso and Conte mm-hmm. would both get to finish the cycle, which is insane. Uh, more so for Conte, like you mentioned, because he has been a key player in every, you know, major trophy that Chelsea has been a part of. Um, but yeah, the, the thing with Conte is if he's healthy, it that's all that matters, right? If he's healthy, he's going to give you at least an eight out of 10. And, you don't want him just to sit back. You want him pressing. You mentioned he was up there a lot with next to Kai, Ziyech, and Pulisic. And, and it's an incredible thing he does where he reads 
what's about to happen. He's not just there. He is understanding that the pass is going to get there. So he beats that pass and eventually wins the ball, and it's immediately a counter from there. And even Pulisic on the assist mentioned, like, I knew that pass was coming. And he knew Angola was eventually going to go to him. So he doesn't get enough credit because, again, I think when we play with Jorginho, you're asked to be way more conservative. But he has the eye for that in transition. When their numbers are there, he will find the correct pass to the open guy. So, yeah, again, con- we, we can never say enough about a healthy Conte. Dare I say it, do we credit Maurizio Sarri for that? Because he was the first manager that used Conte in a press. Andres oh. is gagging. Well, what about a Leicester? Was Leicester was a double pivot, 4-4-2. Yeah, it was a double pivot. I mean, lay Leicester, Leicester were the long ball merchants. Ball over the top to Vardy, into green grass. Let him do the rest. Um, yeah, I don't... Here's the thing. I, when Conte came here, we thought that he was just going to sit back and be this defensive stalwart that just had this endless battery. It was sort of like an energizer bunny and to just kind of round off what you said, Andres, his game is so complete now. He's starting to put together, or he has put together, some of the other aspects that make him this complete box-to-box midfielder. Not necessarily a goal-scoring mid or a playmaking mid, but somebody who's who's just good at everything and exceptional at defending. It's a it's a scary thing. So I know I know eventually this conversation has to happen, but. We do have, you know, him and Jorginho who are approaching their 30s or are already in their 30s. I think Jorginho is still 29. Which one do you uh, cut ties with first if you have to make that decision? I'm going to go ahead and just ask the fucking hard question. Why not? Dude. I know who I'm picking. Uh, between ha- Conte and Jorginho? Yeah. I mean, look, in the next year or two, we are going to have to make this decision. Yes, because their contract expires at the end of next season, both of theirs. Here's my take, and it goes above the playing thing. Conte's camp has never, ever once spoken about leaving Chelsea. Ever. Meanwhile, three times a season, we hear that Jorginho would love to go back to Italy. That bugs me. I know Jorginho isn't the one saying that, but the fact that their his camp is constantly looking for options out irks me. And I just talked about how I preferably would like to play this hard-nosed, quick transition. More of the Chelsea DNA that we've grown up with, which is we defend hard and then we go forward, balls to the wall. We're not... We're not like mid-2000s Barcelona. So to me, I keep Conte, even if it's just for three more years, four more years total, when Jorginho right now is a hot commodity and you can get uh, some money for him. That's just my take. Wow. Because I was thinking a little bit differently as far as longevity. Like, we're talking about that Angolo Conte. Like like an Angolo Conte hamstring. How much longer... You know, right now we're paying Golo Conte like 200k, 200k a, a week, maybe even more. So mm-hmm. his next contract, I mean, I don't know how much of a pay cut he's willing to take on that. So, and I don't know what other teams are out there that want to pay him. Yeah, 
Everybody. It's, and it's just, yeah. But, again, it depends on his injury status. Like, how many years does, would he have left? I mean, there are other teams that would say, we'll take the risk on just, like, the last couple of years of N'Golo Conte's prime. It might not be us. We might stick with Jorginho, who has more time, you know, at, at this at this level, I think. I just think that we're a group, we're still a squad in transition. And I think Tuchel's building a team for the next five, six years. And right now, getting, moving Jorginho to get to that image would make more sense while keeping Jorginho hinders the transition in a way. Again, he has a big role here. I'm not saying like Ben's Jorginho never play him again. There's a time and place to play him. I think he's still like his maintenance of possession and recycling is amazing, but I don't think that's the end goal for the Chelsea style that Tuchel eventually wants to create. There's also um, this aspect that I'm thinking about. It's what, what style is easier to replace? Now I know you're not going to be able to go out and get somebody of Conte's quality overnight. It doesn't have him. He's generational. But when it comes to Jorginho, I feel like it's a little bit harder to find a midfield, you know, sort of, sort of, uh, you know, just the, just the, the mastermind of the team, like, like a maestro, uh, a regista, if you will. Billy Gilmore, and he actually looks forward. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. And, 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 and there you go. I mean, th- that kind of, I would kind of rest my case there because I was going to say, I saw him to counter you. I don't think Jorginho has that longevity physically. I think if you can squeeze another two years out of Conte where he could play 50% of the time, that's more production than you're going to get from, you know, a 32-year-old Jorginho in the Premier League. I mean, Zach, I hate you for asking this question in the first place. I I hate myself for asking it. Yeah, you pretty much held held a gun to our heads to answer that question. Yeah, that um, was not fun. That's the the one Chelsea fans just don't (laughs) want to answer. But... uh, we got another midfielder we, we got to worry about soon. That's Kovacic. But um, in the first half, he looked really great. 93% pass completion, three ball recoveries, um, one out of one dribbling runs completed. Unfortunately, he was taken off early in the second half due to what looked to be a lower leg injury. They confirmed that it was a calf injury or I think it was a groin. Groin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hakeem Ziyech taken off very shortly thereafter with that looked like an ankle injury foot maybe um man just injuries have absolutely killed us this season it's been one of the most unenjoyable like it like this season has been one of the most unenjoyable seasons i think in a while strictly for that reason that there's no consistency in our lineups due to injury and it just seems like as soon as we add someone back, someone else um, goes down immediately. Same match. And um, I mean, we got a Twitter question from Michael Conan at mconan1789. He said, do we have an athletic training staff? Bro, fire them all. Fire them all. I don't find know who God. they are. I Come think like, God. I think at this point, maybe this is like a position at the Chelsea like globe of of staff that because they've been here for so long nobody wants to move them and and it may be a respect thing and and maybe i'm speaking out of term here 
But my goodness, dude, like we should not have pe- people get injured because they play seven matches in a row. That's part of their job is to keep them from getting to that point. There's players that played hundreds. Iñaki Williams, for example, at, at Athletic Bilbao, I think has played over almost 300 games in a row started. Something ridiculous, like five, four seasons Those or are five seasons in a row. matches started, yeah. and the guy's fine. Like, that's a high-energy, high-pressing like high pressing player, and we can't have someone who, like, let's use Ziyech for an example, who is not this physical juggernaut that throws his body through a wall to play, and he's now getting injured. It's just, something's up, and and I think Chelsea should really look internally because if we're going to make a title push, you can't have multiple starters at the rate that we have go down. Like well, at this point, at this point, it's Kovacic, Ziyech, Chilwell, Reese, Mason Mount. That's half your starting eleven. Why don't we? Um, why don't we pay Conte a little extra and have him be our training staff, and everybody could just mimic his diet, exercise, sleep. <laughs> He's like an alien, bro. He's overall, built different. Everybody Ooh. buys minis. Conte. <laughs> Golo Conte? Yeah. yeah. He's an alien, dude. He's, he, no, he's no, naturally he built that way. It, but he's, weird, he's, he's, he's in so injury prone. What are you talking about? He's the last person I take training tips well, from. Well, up until recently. I mean, I guess, he was, yeah, he was Mr. Invincible. Up until the yeah. last season or two, to be fair to him. Yeah. I mean, he pretty much played every minute of every game. But if there is something in the water, Andres. I agree. It's, it's, it's very odd because you got teams like Man City, for example, who didn't really have any uh, any time off from COVID like us. I think they were the only other team. Um, or maybe they did, but towards the end. Regardless, they have guys that play every single week. Right. They still seem to go relatively unscathed. Um, same thing with Liverpool, you know. <sighs> it's frustrating. I think I think every couple seasons, you just kind of get shit luck. There, it, it's, a, it's not something that you would expect every single season song to kind of I don't know if that makes you feel any better, but I feel like this season's an anomaly in that sense of just the unfortunate amount of injuries we had and injuries and in guys who are in form. Like, yeah, like, I mean, exactly. we're talking about Kovacic, you know, Chilwell and Reese. our most important midfielder right now. Chilwell and Reese were the best fullbacks in Europe when they got hurt. You know, Hakeem Ziyech, six goals in his last seven matches. He gets hurt. Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. I mean, uh, City, I think, has only lost, and he's not even at the club anymore. He They lost Ferran Torres for three months. Like, we have multiple players that have been out for that long. The mm-hmm. most they had was COVID issues. So, yeah. And it's like you think about, like, I'm thinking about, like, in the NBA, how Kawhi Leonard, when he was on the Raptors, and they're known for having the best medical staff in the NBA. The guy who they hired used to be, like, the Lakers' head of athletic training. They kept Kawhi healthy for a full season. This dude hasn't played a full healthy season in, like, four or five years. So, you know, besides that one. So it it does make a difference. That is a thing. Like, it really does make a difference having a different athletic training staff and, you know, what they're doing. And I think there's a lot of merits to that speculation based on Chelsea's injury history in the past. It was, it's not just this year. It's, it's It's been in the past four or five years, maybe, that it, it, we've been hit with a lot of injury bugs, with a lot of players who, you know, it it shortened a lot of players' careers, I think, also, which is very unfortunate. Could it, 
could it be a little bit of the residue from uh from the Conte era? Like, like you know, just people he hired that are still around. Yeah, and also you know the way like his training methods as well. I mean, everybody talks about the way he trains being just so Why fucking that still ridiculous be here, in terms of the amount of energy and effort. Why would that I mean, still be what, around? I mean, Hazard, start, Hazard started getting hurt a lot more when Conte was here. Conte was on that team as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe that could be a reason yeah. why he's getting run to the ground now. Aspi, he used Aspi a lot. He used that's him at like back four or too. five years ago. I know, I know. I know. The, the um, delayed I'm, response to like a I'm really secret. picking at straws here. I'm really yeah. stretching it thin, guys. But like, I think it's the I'm staff. I think point. it's the staff. Um, all right, well, we're an American podcast, right, guys? And t- <laughs> listeners need to know, so I'm just so. his and hands together. Something good's <laughs> about to happen here. I've, we've been holding back from mentioning this guy and just the amount of I told you so's that we can say now, but we won't because we are respectful gentlemen. Um, Christian Pulisic at left wing. Who the hell would have thought? I mean, he does this every... I have to take a deep breath. I'm sorry. I have to take a deep breath because this is just what we've been saying. Scores in his first appearance on left wing in who knows how long. Two key passes, three out of five dribbles completed, two for two on the tack on tackles, forty touches, seven out of ten ground duels won. He was knocked over and nearly had an assist to Kai Havertz. Played through the Played through the contact like a man. This is stuff we talked about, guys. And he put it on full display. At club level, Christian Pulisic has 33 goals and assists in his 52 career starts at left wing. Guys, it's not rocket science. We got mad at Tuchel for playing him on the right and Cho on the left. Who He gave Cho all of this, you know, all of the grace or whatever, the... Yeah, trust, the time the that he time. wants, trust, rope, Patience. you know, yeah, exactly. Rope. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the, <laughs> like a, like a, loose, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like a saying. Short, I get it, I get it. It was a good, it was a good, rope. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of the right saying right <laughs> now, but he What's gave him a name? lot of rope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and finally we get to see it. It's just. It, Andreas, you shared a stat on uh, the script. I want you to go through that real quick. Um, yeah. Um, one thing I, I think like is a big misconception in, in Pulisic's kind of time here at Chelsea is that he he's not performing. That he has had all this time here now and that he's not putting up the numbers. So here's the the numbers, right? Under Lampard, he played 34 matches and only out of those 34 he was a sub 7 times. That's 20% of those matches and he scored 11 goals and 10 assists. Double digits in both, which is very rare for Chelsea in recent history. Next season comes, it was half half Lampard, half Tuchel, 43 ma- 43 matches. He was used as a sub 18 times. So now that number doubled. He is now 42% of the time coming off the bench. And he still had six goals and four assists. 
Now, this season, out of the 21 matches he's played so far, he's been a sub in 10. That's 48%. Almost half the time he's coming in as a sub. And I can tell you that in those 50% of the times, a lot of them were little 8-10 minute cameos. And he still has three goals and three assists. Number one, start the man. Because obviously starting produces. And number two, it's not that he's not performing. It's that we're not using him as much. You do not expect substitutes to have the number of starters. And and to make it even more of a debate or controversial thing, he's a sub half the time versus Cho, who's gotten mostly starts. And he has three goals and three assists. I believe Cho has one goal and maybe the same number of assists. So give the man the the trust and the time you gave Cho, and maybe we can reach that same uh, goal tally and assist tally that we saw under Lampard when he was trusted game after game at left wing. Yeah, it's it was refreshing because it, it was doubly refreshing, not only because we got to see Kai, but we also because we got to see Pulisic play, you know, in his natural position also. So now you have our... I don't want to say three best attackers, but maybe our three most dynamic attackers. I've been using that word a lot, starting in their natural positions together. And look what happens. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's really telling. It, it, with, with Pulisic, it's weird, though, because he doesn't. he's not like your typical wing winger where he's going to stay on the byline and only try to take people 1v1 and spray balls into the box. He kind of possesses the ability to do a little bit of everything. And that's exactly what we saw in this game. At one point, Twitter was going crazy over his defensive work and his tracking back. Um, not only that, he gets his goal by making a center forwards run right up the middle of the pitch. Um, and, you know, obviously putting that away. He just finds these ways to impact the game in more ways than one. And I, from what I've seen, and Andres, you touched on it, Cho hasn't done any of that. Um, we've seen it in two or three minute spurts. Or, you know, in a in a pattern of play, but not within the course of a full 90 minutes or even a half, for example. Like, I can't even remember a half where Pulisic, where, where Cho lit the match on fire. <laughs> it, it's not even that the long spurt of time is that chance Pulisic got. We have th- there's like a, a Twitter thread going around of the amount of times Cho has missed that without <laughs> anybody around him. Oh my god. Pulisic took Disgusting. those two baby touches and then was able to still shoot around the goalkeeper when Cho has been played through on goal and has missed multiple multiple chances that were also game winning opportunities. Like there's also like that other part where it's dropped points. So again, you want to give I get it. Like Chelsea kid, like that's great. But maybe we need to be realistic about what his job is. He is more of a facilitator for others, and he's limited to that. Pulisic can do both. Maybe, maybe, I think the only way Tuchel gets the best out of this team is if he, uh, is if he plays the guys who are willing to take responsibility, right? I mean, that was a big issue we had with Lukaku, not taking responsibility for what he said in his actions, and ultimately it affected his play. You have the same thing about Cho, um, not not the same thing about Cho, but a similar uh, situation on the pitch where he's getting the opportunities, he keeps playing, he keeps getting the starts, but he's not taking responsibility and putting up those goals and assists and, you know, putting away those chances like we just mentioned, you know. 
Hakeem Ziyech does that on the right side. I would say Mason Mount does that on the right side uh, effectively as well, right? I mean, obviously, we ask a little bit more out of him considering, you know, the types of chances he gets. But I feel like that's going to come. It's just a matter of time. Kai Havrick just did that last match. Now you have Pulisic. This is the formula. These are the guys that you got to play. I feel like the only way to keep the team spirit and, and, and the level of play this high is to play the guys that are willing to take that responsibility, that are willing to take that shot or take contact while taking that shot like Pulisic did in that scenario, right? Or Kai Havertz after going ice cold last game and being, you know, uh, not as invisible as Lukaku, but invisible nonetheless, come into this game and just light it on fire. It's the team spirit that just completely got lifted because of these three guys. I feel like that's the formula we have to stick to. Maybe this is our best front three at the moment. You know, I don't know if you guys heard what Jimmy Carragher said after the match on uh, on uh, Peacock or no, it's what is it? CBS, CBS, CBS Sports, um, Paramount Plus. It was the Golasso Show. That's what it is. It's Golasso Show. Um, he uh, said that Pulisic is the most dynamic uh, attacker that we have, and. Or do you say what do you say exactly? What he, was said that Zach, more, he, he said he's more. He said he's better technical yeah. ability and talent than Zach Mason said. Mount. Dynamic so many times that it that was, <laughs> it it's got stuck word. in my head. It's a, it is. It's a it is true word. too. It's a dynamic word. It's very yeah, multidimensional. You can apply it in so many different ways. But yeah, shout out to Jamie Carragher. He uh, secret American. I knew that deep down inside. He was a secret American. Like... The way he grittied. He's he's a he's better at gritting than Christian Pulisic. That's for sure. Oh, oh god! <laughs> I feel like Jamie Carragher only said that though to wind Chelsea fans up. Why would you? Why would you want to do that? Oh, to because get him mad. Chelsea fans are in the UK. To get him mad. Okay. Yeah. I thought, you, I thought you meant to like hype Maybe us to up. Get a couple of his uh, of his like, ex English buddies mad. You know, as a, yeah. It's not an American this is a, yeah, this is American, American audience. <laughs> yeah, but they're gonna still. They're still going to tweet videos of it. In, in oh, it. Yeah. You know, they'll see it in England. Shout out to Jamie Carragher. Um, I will, we'll just wrap up Jamie. quickly, quickly mentioning Tiago Silva. Um, the man has a, just has a unique ability to read the play five seconds before it gets to him. Uh, he never puts a wrong foot going through his stats real quick. Two out of four accurate balls. Seven clearances, twelve recoveries, four out of five aerial duels won. I mean, he's just timeless. If you looked at it, what was his his Instagram caption today of his post had an Ayrton Senna quote. I mean, if you like F one too, just if you thought Thiago Silva couldn't get any better, my God, he's he's a perfect man. Uh, and he's you know if you couldn't love him more, he said playing for Chelsea is like living a dream he's got to be one of the most likable Chelsea signings in a long time, huh, Zach? He's the most non-Brazilian Brazilian personality I've ever... True. I've ever seen on... Like, in terms of a footballer, he's just so humble, so down-to-earth. He only has praise for the club and his teammates. He really doesn't have a negative thing to say. He's critical of himself when he needs to be. He praises himself when he needs to. Brazilian JT, man... I. When I call him the Brazilian JT, I'm not just saying that as a joke or to make people laugh. I'm saying it with the highest level of praise because to me, that's the greatest Chelsea player of all time. So the Brazilian, I mean, he is the Brazilian JT in, in many senses. Uh, 
I don't want to throw this out there, but Zach didn't want him to begin with. So hey, hey, I, 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 I always <laughs> I always admit when I'm wrong. I said last week I was wrong about Ziesh like a thousand times. <laughs> I never I, I what one thing I never said was that Tiago Silva wasn't class. I never once said anything bad about his ability. I only talked shit about his age at the time. Yeah, it's just crazy that like this guy comes in and he was supposed to kind of do like a like a victory lap and just be like, oh, let's try England before I just call it quits the season. And now it's like we can maybe stretch this out for another year or two apart from this one because he, again, for the most part, stays healthy. No, you don't play him every single match because his just like the other aging players, he is slowly getting less athletic, but his brain is just in another level. You mentioned JT. I mean, JT was never the fastest guy, but he was just that smart, always in the right place. And you get that performance on the field, and then you also just keep getting all these quotes about how much he loves this club and these fans have embraced him and all this stuff. And it's like, how? How can we love you more? Like, what do we need to do to show you even more love? Like, I wish we had a cooler song because we always just chant his name, but I'm sure that's pretty badass to hear your name shouted over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. So... Yeah, I mean he's a legend. I'm I'm beyond ecstatic that he even has gotten the chance to play at Chelsea. Uh all right, let's go into our Twitter questions. Not too many this week. This one isn't even a question. This one's from Jimmy Bahama at Jimmy Bahama three eleven. Um it's been a while since we heard from him. He said, This is the best we have played in weeks. Hashtag Lukaku out. I'll trade him for Jonathan David. You know, the unspoken story of this match was the United States versus Canada. You know, CONCACAF uh, qualifications going on. And Christian Pulisic outplayed Jonathan David, for sure. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, so that was the untold story, I think, uh, underlying this match. Uh, Big rivalry going on in in, uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualifications. Um, But, all right, let's, let's jump into the Liverpool preview. So the last four matches... No, sorry. What am I saying, the last four matches? In in their last 23 matches in all competitions, they've only lost one and drew three matches. They are on a hot streak. But Chelsea's only lost two matches in their last 32. So, and it just seems like we, we always play them well for some reason. Mosola, obviously... This guy is, is playing on an unreal level. In his last three matches, four goals, one assist. This season in the Premier League, he has 19 goals, 11 assists. I mean, clearly the best player in the Premier League this season um, by far. And then they go on and add Luis Diaz, uh, just a sneaky transfer at the January window. I mean, Andreas... It's so annoying when we br- we bring in all these pieces. It takes them so long to accommodate them to get them into our system. You know, they Liverpool goes out, they get a guy, he immediately bangs first start. It, what? Why can't this happen for us with for Liverpool? Yeah. it's so easy. Longevity of a manager, longevity of a in place system, scouts that know exactly what they're looking for now. Every year or two. We flip-flop managers. We flip-flop how we want to play. We are now flip-flopping the players that we're trying to get. Honestly, 
since Eminalo left, I don't think there's a clear structure of the kind of player Chelsea is is going after because in no world would Tuchel still want a, a Marcos Alonso in this team, who, by the way, was dreadful in this match against Lille. Could have had two goals easily, but that's beside the point. Luis Diaz can come in and immediately destroy Premier League teams because Liverpool knew exactly what they were looking for. And they don't need a superstar, world-class talent. They just need a guy who's ready to, to take on a new challenge, which is exactly what they did with Mo Salah. Mo Salah was, sure, he was scoring goals at the Serie A, but when Liverpool paid $50 million for him, everybody was like, whoa, I mean, he had two good seasons. Like, it is just Serie A. What are you doing? Bangs. Sadio Mane out of Southampton. Bangs. Luis Diaz. Scored bangers already in his, what, three starts in the Premier League so far? Jota. Everyone's like, why the hell are they getting Jota? Displaces Robert Firmino. These guys now have a vision of what they want to do because they've been doing the same thing now for, what, six, seven seasons? It wasn't pretty at first, and they slowly added those pieces. But that's what consistency and, and vision of a project can do. That's why I still think... There is a lot of players that are not part of that vision here. And I think this summer is going to be huge for Chelsea. But again, system has to be first, then you bring the players. And that's the kind of disconnect that we still have at this club when it comes to the players we chase. Yeah, I agree. I don't really have much to add on the Luis Diaz point, but I do hope that Chelsea stick with this whole, you know, philosophy of, Writing it out with the manager and letting him do his thing before calling it quits. <laughs> Good one, Zach. Good one. Yeah, I know. Um, a man can dream, though, right? Um, I think the big thing uh, is the Firmino and Jota not being available for the, for this one. Because now they're forced to play Luis Diaz in a very, very important match. And Andres, I know longevity of the manager and the system and this and that play a part in him performing and hitting the ground running right off the bat. But... In a cup final, I feel like it would just take the pr- the amount of pressure to a whole new level in terms of him having to perform right away. You think, so that, he, maybe you think that, that the injuries mean that Luis Diaz is going to start? He has to. Who are they going to yeah. start? Minamino? I think Bob, Diaz Bob's hurt too. Middle. Yeah. Well, Diaz started today and they smacked Leeds 6 0. So he's probably oh, going to start so. at the weekend. <laughs> Wait, I missed that. Yeah. So Bob's yeah. in our house. Um, Okay, yeah. He, he'll he start at striker, you think? No, Mane will slide Mane over. Mane will. And then okay. him, and Salah, him and Salah switch you know, throughout the game, too. But, yeah. again, they're, they're probably going to mimic something similar to our front three if we do start Kai, please, God. It'll be a, it'll be a fluid front three where all three oh. guys will sort of be interchangeable in that way. So exactly. that's, a, that's a whole other element that we have to kind of take into account here because – I mean, they are three different players. Firmino is more of like a playmaker, sort of a cam, right? He, he's, he drops in and he's he's a false nine type of player. And Jota's just a pure cold-blooded finisher. But he now, does similar things, though. He's an effort guy, so he is going to cover the same spaces. He might not have the assist numbers of Firmino, but he scores the goals Firmino doesn't. Exactly, yeah. So it all kind of it all kind of balances out. I think Jota's a net positive when you compare the two, though. Yeah. 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 We got a Twitter question from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. I think last episode was the first time we didn't 
he did write a question, but we wanted to save it for this week. I think that was the first episode that did not feature a Bob Daddy Cool uh, question. <laughs> I, I mean, I want to say since the first question he asked, maybe. <laughs> Do I want to go we that far our, back? We love possible. Um, he said, with the way the front three play today, especially if Ziyech is healthy enough to play, should this be the front three we play on Saturday? If Kovacic is not available on Sunday, is Jorgolo enough to combat the Liverpool midfield? Or do we use Conte and Mount there? So, Zach, you mentioned you want Havertz there. Realistically. I do need, I I do need that same front three. Um, the it's midfield not going to happen. The midfield, my heart is telling me one thing and my mind's telling me something else. Andres, you talk about it because I'm probably going to agree with you. I mean, listen. We played Liverpool last time and it was a Conte-Kovacic midfield because we knew we had to be hitting them on the counter and get up quick. Eventually, we brought Jorginho in at the very end because Liverpool was still being the better team at times. Not finishing-wise, but pressing and all that. Because of the Ziyech injury, I agree with Sam. I have a bad feeling it might be Pulisic on the left, Havertz on the right. Lukaku up top, but in terms of midfield, humor me here. If we're looking to press, I knew it. We're looking, I knew it. The second you said looking, humor me. If we're looking to be on the on the transition, give me a little bit of Conte and Mason Mount. Listen, people there are going to be like, oh, but Mason Mount's been playing in the front three. Oh, well, the reason Mason Mount got brought back to Chelsea is because he played a box-to-box role at Derby. Mason Mount was brought into Chelsea to be a box-to-box eight who has attacking prowess. He played there for a while with Lampard's 4-3-3, and it was beautiful. So, yeah, I would love to see Mount. Zach, Zach, I know why you're not surprised with what Andreas just said. It's because he's been saying this damn thing for the past two years. He's been saying I mean, I've been- I was preaching the Mount double pivot in a four two three one under Lampard. We all were. So I've no, been I've been not, on this train for a while. I, I have a, I have tenure, in that club. Different role in the four two three one. This... I know, I know, I know. But but I I mean I've been preaching his defensive quality and the fact that he can solidify a midfield as opposed when he's to defending being from the front as an attacker. But, but what I'm hoping is defending from the front, not holding back and cutting passing lanes. I'm mm-hmm. looking to press them before they attack us. Press them when they're trying to build up. The kind of thing that we just praised Conte for doing, where he was right behind that front three, cutting the passing lane that's going to the the DM or whoever's playing center mid, and not even letting that attack happen. You know you know what's going to happen, Andres? I hate to kind of, you know, um, stop your train of thought, but Mount's not going to start there. It's going to be Jorginho and Conte. And then when it's time to sub Jorginho, he's going to bring on Saul. Or Ar- <laughs> no, Loftus Cheek. That's Loftus exactly Cheek. what's going to happen. So we <laughs> oh my god. What? We didn't mention those subs, how puzzling they were. Hey, but Loftus Cheek looked good again. Loftus yeah, he did. Another, he looked real nice. another, another guy that went healthy. Uh, hey, he can ball, but he stays unhealthy more than he stays Didn't healthy. Didn't we say last last week, just that no, he, just that, that less than still... a week ago, that he was he was washed and we're already looking at moving him? <laughs> I just don't think he's washed. I think 
again, we are transitioning to a position to actually compete for the league, and you need to have guys that are available. Like we love Loftus Cheek if if he didn't combat like back issues every single week, and and his body wasn't so freaking big and dense that it can't keep up with his agility, we'd be having a totally different conversation. I think I think going back to the whole uh, midfield of Angolo Conte and uh, Mason Mount, I think if both of them are pressing, it might leave the midfield a little too exposed. So what do you guys think about instead of playing a 3-4-3, three, three, we switch it up and play a four in the back and add another midfielder? 4-1-4-1. Four, one, four, one. That was going to be my alternative. With, with Jorginho as the deep-lying midfielder. Yes. Last yeah. line of defense pretty much in the midfield while N'Golo Conte and uh, and Mason Mount are free to move forward with uh, yeah. Malong Sar at left back. Yes, yes. Oh, I think I hit I'm it cool right on the net. I think I hit I'm it cool right on the head. It has to be. Has Can to be. Holistic on the left and then cross your fingers at Ziyech on the right because he's been amazing. But that would be great starting eleven, man. That would be that would be it for this man. If if Dave is not available, Chalobino at right back. Are you okay (laughs) with that? uh, Christensen has been picked over him. I think I think we're being really careful (laughs) with uh, with Chaloba's injury. I I don't see because we're not re-signing Christensen. That's something to discuss. I mean, he's he's off to Barca. Like it's been. It's been like yeah. pretty much confirmed. Listen though, if if United can play Lindelof at right back today, we can play anyone we want at right back, okay? <laughs> and we'll be fine. Um, so those are our formation lineup predictions. Now we get to the good part, score prediction. Zach, are we seeing is this would be considered a treble? This is the hardest uh, this prediction is, this, to make. This trophy would be considered a treble already. <laughs> we have Club World Cup. We have Super the UEFA Super Cup. That. And then if we went this, this... is the Mourinho treble. This is like the Mourinho I made <laughs> it, treble. It counts, guys. We could win the treble in before March. I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say 2-2 on pens. We take it. Yeah, it has to be on pens. It has to be on pens. <laughs> I, 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 I can't... Carabao Cup final, is that what I'm hearing? I can't see Liverpool not scoring against us, and I also can't see us playing so poorly in a cup final where we can't score against them. And I just think it's it's going to be tight, man. 2-2 so on pens. Uh, I, I think we match up well, and we always play them so well. I just feel like we haven't been able to kind of break the duck of not drawing them. Like, and, and, and that's why the penalty call is good. That's that's why the, I think it's on point. What the perfect storm, you know? Nobody's giving us a chance. Liverpool just smashed leads. We had this issue with Lukaku. What about like two one in extra time? Like the Lukaku with the brace. Tiago no, passes no, it into his own net. No, no, no. Lukaku's not going to get a brace. He'll get a sub appearance oh and score. God. Can you and then imagine the scenes? The Twitter's going to blow up because nobody's going to know whether to like extremely be happy or be like, oh, that's a one-off. And who cares because it's another trophy. I, I'm seeing it now. Two to one after 120 minutes, and it's not going to be pretty at all. 
I got 2-0 right in midweek. And I said it yeah. might not be like a perfect display, but I thought it was going to be better. I'm saying 2-120. Can I say one thing? And we can finish off on this point. Would all of you or both of you be okay with being wrong about Lukaku if he scores a double this weekend and the rest of the season he plays amazing? I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I, want I hope I'm wrong well. with that. Of course, I hope I'm wrong. I, yeah, at no the end brainer. of the day, it's it's up. What's in his head? If the guy wants to be part of his team and and do what the team needs, and and he starts scoring on top of that, we're gonna embrace it. It, it just it's a mentality thing right now. It's not. We still think Lukaku is a fantastic player. He'll get it together if he wants to. So we're not rooting against him. All right. Cool. No, 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 no. Make no. sure we're united on that front. Yeah, I just think he needs to Lukaku. shut his mouth and play. Like he, at this game ended, and I saw a quote that's like Lukaku said that he was perfectly healthy to play at Lille. It's like, shut the fuck up. Just, 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 just shut the fuck mouth. up. Shut it's kind of like uh, Austin Powers whenever uh, Scott talks and and Doctor Evil just cuts him off. Just get, get, but get I away, sh- get away from your phone. Sh- Don't take any sh- calls from the media. Just wait till you get your until your name is called by the manager. Delete and do your Snapchat. Shit. Delete Instagram. <laughs> Are you telling Lukaku to to sit down and shut up? That guy doesn't know it. Those two do not go hand in hand for him. Hey, I mean, if Zero you saw the celebration, 30. if you saw the celebration videos of Kai's goal, he was pretty speechless there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just He's gotta go zero dark thirty. Yeah, he was looking. He was looking down. You know, smoking barrel, pretty much. I mean, his career is <sighs> pretty embarrassing at the moment. But, anyways, that should uh, that should wrap up today's pod before I <laughs> start ranting about Lukaku again, like I did last week. If you didn't hear it, you might want to check out that episode. Me and Andres actually got into it and had a pretty heated debate about it. Um, so make sure you guys are looking out for our next pod. If you're not um, already following us on Twitter, make sure you are at Romans Empire Pod. We usually drop an episode after every match. Until next episode, hopefully we complete the treble. Keep the blue flag flying high.